0: Hey guys, this is the Mosaic Podcast, and I want to welcome you. But I want to let you know that MSC just released a new album called Heaven. Seven brand new songs that express the heart of our community, our heart of worship, and are going to absolutely inspire you and make an impact on your life. Mosaic MSC, Heaven. So this morning, I knew something was wrong because my wife, Kim, was still in bed. She always gets up about four o'clock to milk the cows because she grew up on a farm and she thinks there's still cows or something. And so she gets up super early and this morning she was in bed and, and I was getting ready. She said, I'll, I'll try to make it to the second gathering and, and she just couldn't move. But right before I left, and I don't know what you, you, you know, your wife or your husband or your friends say to you right at the last minute, but this is what my wife said to me. Right as I was walking out, she said, do you know that 5% of all the world's population lives in the United States? And that the United States uses 80% of the world's opioids. And then she said, I was reading this on Yahoo and the question that the writer asked is, the question is, why is America in so much pain? It is an odd thing that we live in a unique time in human history. You may not know this, but you are in the middle of a sociological phenomenon. You live in the middle of the most freedom, the most opportunity. We live in the midst of the greatest wealth, the greatest education of any time of any people in human history. And yet we are the most medicated society on the planet. the the fact that we have 5% of the population and are using 80% of the opiates in the world. and, And let's just have a moment of just stark, objective honesty the rest of the world faces a much, much more difficult life than us. And, and here we are with so much opportunity, so much possibility. Here we are, the most affluent, the most educated, the most prosperous people on the planet. And between cannabis and Jack Daniels, we, we, we need to drug ourselves to survive through this life. And in fact, we even need to drug ourselves to enjoy this life. And then it seems as if there is no statistical difference between people who believe in God and those who do not. It seems that that there really is no line of demarcation inside these walls and outside these walls. That we're struggling with the very same issues, the very same things, and have chosen the very same solutions as everyone else. And yet we we are in in the middle of a conversation building our lives on this book that tells us that God is infinitely generous and gracious. That God created us for love, that he created us to experience life to the fullest. And there's so many promises. And In fact, if there's any part of the Bible you've ever paid attention to, it's probably the promises. And you've probably focused on the promises as much as you've ignored the commands. But the reality is that it seems almost as if either the promises in the scriptures are just poetic and not realistic. Or we have somehow missed out on how to access the fullness of what God has for us. It's almost as if God has hidden treasures, but we don't know where they're hidden. And we keep searching. And some of you have been on a desperate search to find the hidden treasures of God, even if you don't use God's name. You're trying to find some principle, some secret, some strategy. You're trying to find some way to get a leg up on life. You're trying to find some way to achieve your greatest dream. You're trying to find some way to achieve what, what you sense in your soul you're created to accomplish, but you t- are terrified in your heart that you never will. And so I, I want to read to you a particular passage of scripture because this one in particular highlights that there are hidden treasures or that there is a hidden treasure. It's as if God has a secret, and in fact, we're gonna discover that's exactly the case. In Colossians chapter two, beginning in verse two, Paul writes these words. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Then verses six and seven. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, I I don't know about you, but those words are, are both encouraging and elusive. They're beautiful, but what do they really mean? And sometimes I feel like that's, that's the problem. It's almost as if we need a translator to help us understand what God is actually saying to us because we can't seem to get a hold of what God is trying to tell us so that we can live the life he created us to live. God, if you have hidden treasures, where's the map? Tell me how to get there. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to read the same passage, but I'm going to read in the children's Bible. Because years ago, about 25 years ago, when we moved out to LA, I was only speaking out of the children's Bible. I began speaking to all these academics and intellectuals and Kim so oftentimes would think that I'm unaware of the way people are responding to my choices. And she would tell me, you need to stop speaking out of the children's Bible. And I said, Why? And she said, Because you're you're intellectually offending all these people. They're insulted. And I said, I know. I'm insulting them on purpose. See, because we have this misconception about God that we have to be somehow intelligent enough to get the deep insights of God. I want to go deep. It's funny how the people always want to go deep are the most shallow. See, I want to talk to you out of the children's Bible because I want you to get it. Because by the way, if it's that complex... And that ethereal, that you can't get it, Jesus didn't teach it, because Jesus loved talking to children. And he told us to come to him like little children, so we need to simplify what he's saying. So here it is again, just verses 2 and 3. He says, I do this. He he does what? Right before that, he says, I am fighting for you. He says, I am fighting for you. He's writing the Colossians, who are, are part of the culture of the Laodicean church. If you know anything about the scriptures, there are seven churches in the book of Revelation, and one of them is Laodicea. And the Laodicean church, it was said, was a church filled with wealth. And Jesus actually says to them, you are known to be rich, but I wish I could convince you you were poor. He says, because you are lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. And he says, I wish I could just spit you out of my mouth. See, I understand that because I like things either really hot or really cold. I hate things lukewarm. And Jesus speaks to them and says, I'm trying to fight for you, but you don't seem to have any interest in fighting for yourself. And here Paul says, I'm fighting for you. That's what he tells the Colossians. Everything I'm about to say to you, I'm going to say to you because I'm fighting for you. And I want you to know tonight, what's actually happening is we're fighting for you. There's some of you that came in here tonight and you are so discouraged about your life. And you don't feel you even have the strength to try one more time. I don't know, we're here fighting for you. There's some of you who are just so beat up because you've blown it so many times and everyone calls you a failure. I want you to know we're here tonight fighting for you. Some of you who think that you will always be broken, that you will never be whole, that you'll never get past the wounding and pain, your soul and I want you to, we are here fighting for you. We're not here just to have a conversation or to entertain each other or just spend a little time hanging out. We are here because we're in the middle of a fight and we are fighting for you tonight. Paul says, I'm fighting for you. I do this in order that they may be filled with courage and may be drawn together in love. And so have the full wealth of assurance which true understanding brings. We'll get back to that. But then he says this. In this way, they will know God's secret. I read that and that kind of arrested me. What? God has a secret. I want to know God's secret. You ever had a secret? Did you ever keep a secret? You ever have a friend that come up to you and says, hey, I'm gonna tell you something but you can't tell anyone? You know you can. You know, you can't because they're telling you a secret they shouldn't be telling you. So, how are they gonna hold you accountable for telling a secret when they just told the secret that they were told was a secret? We just, we just love, we love having secrets, but then we, we love giving the secret away. But you ever walked in a room and everyone's talking, and then when you walk up, they stop talking? You can know they're talking about you. You are the secret. He says that God has a secret. In this way, they will know God's secret. But here it is. God has a secret, and the secret is Jesus Christ himself. He says, in this way, they will know God's secret, which is Christ himself. Now, what's crazy is that this is an open secret. See, it's not a secret because God tried to hide it. It's a secret because no one could imagine it. It's not a secret because God didn't want us to know it. It's a secret because we couldn't seem to understand it. See, Christ is God's secret because it doesn't make any sense that God would step into human history, take on flesh and blood, walk among us, live this perfectly beautiful, sinless life, and then allow himself to be tried and found guilty when he's innocent, mocked and beaten, crucified, buried, just so he could rise from the dead so that we could have life. Yeah. See, it's one of those secrets that you didn't know you knew. See, in this way, they will know God's secret, which is Christ himself. But he goes on. He is the key. I like keys. I mean, I don't like to carry them around, but I like what they do, the open places you want to go. He is the key that opens all the hidden treasures of God. He is the key that opens all the hidden treasures of God's wisdom and knowledge. If if God were to offer you a key, that would open everything God has for you? If God offered you a key to all the hidden treasures of God, what would you do with that key? Would you lose it? Would you forget it? Would you leave it somewhere in the past and not remember where it was? See, a lot of us, we've been on a journey. We've been on a journey trying to figure out how do we access the fullness of life? and, And whether the language is God or not, We we, we all hope, we all hope that there's something out there that's for us. And so we talk about the universe, or we talk about chance, or we talk about faith, or we talk about, about, about math. Hopefully statistics are on your side. I can't keep failing over and over again. Eventually, it has to play in my favor. We all hope someone or something out there will eventually leverage life in our direction. And so people talk about there are secrets in the Bible, Oh, so many people have made so much money telling you the secrets in the Bible that are not in the Bible. Because God doesn't have a secret, God is a secret. See, and Jesus didn't come to give you a key, He is the key. And a lot of us, we want a key to God's hidden treasures, but Jesus didn't come to give us hidden treasures, He came to be for us the hidden treasure. And and I know this is a little tricky. Stay with me. This has happened to me so many times, and it's always, always really interesting. I, I've had people over the years come up to me after one of my talks. That's what I call them. Some people call them sermons. Some people call them messages. But what happened for me is a lot of times people come up to me and go, I really enjoyed whatever you just did. <laughs> and I said, that's a talk. Because that's what I do. I, I talk. They go, okay, I like your talks. But, what, but I've had so many people come up to me and say, hey, I was really with you. I really liked your talk. But then at the end, you kind of like deviated over to Jesus. And they would tell me, I was really kind of offended when you went off on Jesus. In fact, I've had people come up to me and say, your talks are so helpful to me. One guy told me, I pay tens of thousands of dollars to go to these seminars, and I get more when I come and hear you. Could you just leave out the Jesus part? One of my friends actually emailed me and said, for the next few weeks, we're bringing family to Mosaic. Could you not mention Jesus for the next few weeks? Now, I understand you may have a problem telling your family that you're actually coming to something that is all about Jesus, but I have permission to not talk about me, but I do not have permission to not talk about Jesus. Because you see, I... I just think a lot of us, a lot of us, we want what God has for us, but we don't want God. We, we want whatever Jesus might pass on to us, but we want to pass on Jesus. And a huge part of the dilemma is that we have the sense that Jesus has insights to life. He, he has principles we need that the scriptures if we can just get a hold of them and understand them could actually help us live the life we're created to live but, but can we do that without god invading our space and can we do this without without being so exclusive that we talk about jesus now this one woman came up to me so upset i was with you to the very end but can i ask you a question i knew what was coming she goes, then you had to just really focus in on jesus i mean you didn't bring a buddha you didn't bring up Muhammad. You didn't bring up Krishna. You didn't bring up anybody else, Confucius. You just talked about Jesus. And I told her, I said, hey, I'm sorry. Jesus is the only story I know. See, because I've tried all these different paths, but Jesus was the only one who changed my life. And so I, I want to apologize to you that my story is inadequate for you. She goes, oh, no, no, I don't mean that. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I want to apologize. But, but, but the reality was that, you see, if anything else had changed my life, I would talk to you about that. You see, I'm just telling you that Jesus changed my life because he is the key that has unlocked all the doors that have allowed God's generosity and his goodness to pour into my life. And I think so oftentimes we don't understand that everything God wants to do in us, he wants to do with us in him. He is the key that opens all the hidden treasures of God all of God's wisdom and knowledge. and So how does that key unlock in us? Well, right after that, he, he gives us some basic guidelines, some steps for this process. He, he, he says in verse six, he says, since you have accepted Christ Jesus as Lord. Now, that's not true for everyone here. I understand that. There's some of you here, you're still trying to make sense of God, you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is. You're, you haven't been ready to cross that line of faith, but tonight you might. But but for everyone here who has come to a place in your life where you've said, Jesus, I get it, I need you. See, for everyone here who has finally crossed that line of faith and has opened up their life to Jesus and has had this huge transfer of life, you've given Jesus your life, you've allowed Jesus to give you his life. He says, since you have accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, now this applies to you. It says, live in union with him. That's kind of unusual because just because you've accepted Jesus as Lord doesn't mean you're going to live in union with him. Because when you accept Jesus as Lord, that's completely an act of grace. You don't have to do anything except just open your life to him and say, I give you my life. I'm in. I want to trust you with everything. You cross the line of faith and God meets you every time. He never disqualifies you. He always accepts you, always embraces you. But the problem is that if you think that's where it ends, and it's been a beautiful thing to see thousands of people come to know Jesus here, to step into that faith with Christ. But I think there's some of you who haven't figured out how to make it work yet. And it's because after you accept him, you have to decide to live in union with him. And that word union is a is part of that construct which we are more familiar with, which is communion. See, what God wants for us is for us to live so deeply in relationship with him that he becomes our reality. See, I I think a part of the difficulty is a lot of us are used to striving. Anybody here know how it is to strive? You're just hustling. You're on the hustle. You're striving all the time. You're trying trying to hustle and strive for that job. You're striving for that career. You're striving for that girl. You're striving for that guy. You're striving for that other guy. You're striving for that other guy. You just keep on striving. (laughs) Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just keep striving and striving and striving. You feel it when you're driving across the city. You're beeping when no one can move anyway. You're You're just, they're holding you back. You gotta get somewhere where you don't know, but you know you gotta get there. And so what happens is that even we take on religion because we start striving. I need God in my life, so I better go to temple. I better go to mosque. I better go to synagogue. I better go to church. I better go somewhere. I better go to Netflix or art. Like I need to go somewhere where I can connect to God. And so a lot of religion is all about striving. Okay, I gotta pray. I, I gotta become holy. I gotta fast. I gotta. I, I gotta take on these rituals. I, I need to do this stuff. And so you're striving. So what happens is we're striving and striving and striving. And then we run into God. We come to this life-changing moment with Jesus, but we actually think it's our striving that got us there. But it's not. It's your desperation. And so what happens is then we receive Jesus, and we go back to what we know. We keep striving and striving and striving and striving and striving. And what he's telling us is, no, after you accept Jesus, you need to stop striving and start abiding. You need to live in union with him. And I think this is an important, important description because I think a lot of us have spiritually codependent relationships. I mean, God's not codependent on you, but you're kind of codependent on God. You ever been in a codependent relationship? Have you ever been in a codependent relationship? Are you in one right now? But you just don't wanna say because they're sitting right next to you. You know how you're in a codependent relationship? You're in a codependent relationship when you're in a relationship with another person and you both bring the worst out in each other. You're in a codependent relationship when the other person is so broken that their brokenness justifies your continued brokenness. You're in a codependent relationship with their, when their negative behavior gives you permission to keep your negative behavior and so you both negatively affect each other and so you become so dependent on each other because you justify your existence. And you actually see yourself as noble because you're with this broken person who's dependent on you, but you can't see the fact that they're with a broken person that's completely dependent on them. Now, this is not what we're talking about tonight. This is just a side note. A lot of us bring our codependent patterns into our faith. And so we think that God needs us to stay broken for us to be close to God. We think that somehow God needs us to be needy so we can stay close to God, but God wants to heal you. See, God wants to make you whole. God wants to make you mature. He doesn't want you to need him the way you needed him when you started. He wants you to grow in the depth of your need for him. And that's a part of what happens in a union with God is he actually makes you whole. And then he goes, and the way you you develop this, this relationship of abiding, is you need to keep your roots deep in him. I love the imagery because it's imagery, of course, of a tree. Now, I know a lot of you live in LA and, but I'm, I'm certain you've seen a tree. <laughs> I mean, a, a real tree, one with deep roots. If you've driven up to Yosemite, you see trees that seem to touch the sky. And the thicker and taller the tree, the deeper and thicker the roots. I was thinking the uh, the other morning that that if trees were humans, we'd wake up in the morning and there'd be dead trees everywhere. Because if trees thought like humans, they would uproot and chase other trees to steal their fruit. Because they would have so little confidence that they could grow their own fruit that they would panic when they saw another tree bearing fruit sooner. And so they would uproot themselves, run after that other tree. The other tree would panic because they need to hold on to their fruit and uproot themselves and start running. And every morning there'd just be dead trees everywhere without any fruit on any of them. See, because most of us, we want a five-minute solution from God. We, we, we want fruit, and God's trying to talk to us and say, wait wait a minute, before you can have fruit, you have to have roots. And there is no tree on this planet that bears fruit within minutes of having roots. But we all want to bear fruit without going through the seasons. He says, you need to keep your roots deep in him. Some of you are mad at God because he didn't fix you right away. But if it took 25 years to get this broken, don't think it's gonna take God 25 minutes to heal you. Some of you are mad at God because he hasn't made your dreams come true. And he hasn't even grown you enough so you can have the right dreams that you should want to have true. See, some of you are just so angry because God isn't showing up on your timetable because you're all about the fruit and God is all about the roots. And he's saying, keep your roots deep in him. By the way, you want to know if your roots are deep in Jesus? No. <laughs> Let me tell you how you can know your root are deep in Jesus. You see, the roots pull out the nutrients from the soil and they feed the tree. And that's how the fruit comes. When you carry inside of you bitterness, jealousy, greed, arrogance, when you carry inside of you anger and unforgiveness, you can know your roots are not in Jesus. Because whenever you're rooted in Jesus, different things begin to emerge. Forgiveness, compassion, gentleness, kindness, integrity, honesty. When you're rooted in Jesus, you begin to have the fruit of Jesus. And people will look at you and go, wow, there's something different about the way they live their life. And you can explain to them it's because you're rooted in something different than the rest of the world. Because, but he says, not only keep your roots deep, but build your lives on him. And so he changes the metaphor just a little bit. You need to root deeply in him, but then you need to build your life on him. And, and what he's telling us is that Jesus needs to be the foundation of our life so that everything we build is actually built on foundation of him in our life. Now, I have a lot of people who still ask me, you sure you got to talk about Jesus all the time? See, they're not two me's. They're not two Irwin McManus, it's just one. There's only one Erwin McManus, and he has a story inside of Jesus. That's it. And so any story I tell that's outside of Jesus is not my story. It's just a lie. Because the story of me and the story of Jesus are inseparable now. And now you can see it more on Instagram. Have you ever noticed that some people are all about Jesus on Sunday, but he never shows up on their Instagram? He never shows up on their Twitter, never shows up in their story. See, some of you have the story of you, and then you have the story of God. You don't think God's paying attention that the two stories never seem to meet in real life. If you're trying to build your life on you, you're not building your life on Jesus. He says, if you want to abide in him, have union with him, make sure your roots are deep, but build your life on him. And by the way, that's exactly why we're here. See, we want you to build your life on the God who created you. And, and, and I'm not, I, I want you to be more successful, I really do. I I want you to achieve your greatest goals. I I want you to live out your dreams to such a level that it astonishes even you. I, I want this to be a place where you can grow and I've had so many people who tell me, we go to all these seminars and we pay tens of thousands of dollars, but what we get here is better than what we got there and it's free. I'm telling you, it's not free, you're just not paying for it. And what I want you to know is this, See, I want to be absolutely clear. I don't need to do this. I I could be out there teaching you how to walk on hot coals. I could just focus on how to inspire you and embolden you and make you feel like you can take on the world. And I could go to the bank with it. I'm not here because I'm trying to make you more successful. I'm here because what I found is if you don't build your life on Jesus, it will all fall apart in the end. (laughs) It says, and then become stronger in your faith. And by the way, that's an important descriptive. You're supposed to get stronger in your faith. Your faith is actually supposed to get stronger. So it means if your faith is the same now as it was when you started, there's something wrong with you. You know which workout I hate? I hate abs. I mean, I love abs. I hate ab workouts. I mean, I say I love abs, but I've never known abs. But, but theoretically, I love abs. I love the idea of abs. And, 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 and I, I had this friend who trained me for so long She just kept trying to convince me. You're so close. And she goes, we need to work on on those abs. They were working on abs, she'd call it core. So when you say core, you really mean abs, don't you? She goes, yes. She says, but we need to build your core. And and she goes, but this is gonna gonna delineate those abs. And I said, wait a minute. It doesn't really matter to me because no one's ever gonna see my abs. And and I said, and I don't mean that I'm never gonna take off my shirt because if I had abs, I probably would. But, but what I, what I actually mean is that my, my abs are humble. And my, my, my abs feel it's important to hide behind an extra layer of me. And, and I would say to my friend would train me. I said, what's the point of working on my abs? If you can't see my abs because I don't see any abs there. She goes, no, they're there. You just have to stop eating the things you like eating because you, you, you have to get rid of the fat so you can see the abs. So what made perfect sense to me was, well then, let's not work on my abs. Let's work on my fat. And if I can get rid of the fat, then I'll start working on the abs. She goes, you can do both at the same time. You can start from the inside and meet yourself to the outside. I'm like, okay, I could, but..." I just like working on one thing at a time. See, I don't like doing ab workouts because I can't see the result. See, core workouts don't make me look better. They just make me stronger. And most of us don't care about being stronger. We just care about looking better. And, And that's why we pretend that enthusiasm and excitement is faith. And it's not. Your faith isn't stronger just because you get all excited when it's easy to believe in Jesus. Your faith is stronger when you're out in the real world and you have to stand up because your faith demands it. And then he says, then be filled with thanksgiving. See, and, and, and what's interesting is he wraps all this up by saying, and if you want to abide in me and have union with me and grow in your relationship with me, you have to make sure you're filled with thanksgiving. Why is that? Have you ever noticed that you leak? I mean, you are, you're a leaker. You got like holes in your soul. I'm so on fire. I'm not gonna make it today. You ever been there? Nothing can stop me. Everything is holding me back. Jesus, I'll never give up on you. <laughs> Jesus, where are you? We leak. Some of you are going to leave here so inspired. It's going to last like eight minutes. Cause you're a bad leaker. You leak so fast. You don't even make it to the night. And, and let me tell you, the only thing that plugs up the holes is gratitude. See, when you're an ungrateful person, no matter how much faith, no matter how much hope, no matter how much love someone pours into you, you just leak it out because the lack of gratitude expands the holes in your soul. But when you're grateful, everything God puts in stays in. Everything others put in stays in. All the good that you receive, it actually becomes a part of who you are because gratitude lines your soul and allows you to grow. Okay. Now we're ready to dive into my message. (laughs) Because this is what it means to be in Jesus, where he's the key that opens all the hidden treasures. But do you wanna know how you can stand where those treasures become unleashed in your life? Here it is, verses two, or just verse two. I do this in order that you may be filled with courage, See, the hidden treasures that Jesus wants to pour into your life cannot be activated if you live the life of a coward. He says, I'm fighting for you that you might be encouraged of heart. I love that word, encourage. You know what the word encourage means? It literally means to put courage inside of you. So if you feel encouraged, it means you have more courage. If you encourage someone, it means you're putting courage inside of them. And that, well, maybe, maybe a better word for us rather than courage would be confidence. Because you need confidence to live your life. But it's the same difference because the word confidence literally means with faith. Confidence. And so if you're going to have confidence to live your life, you're going to have to live a life with faith. If you're going to be encouraged, you're going to have to have a heart full of courage. Now, have you ever been around someone who's pretending they have Confidence and it just comes across like arrogance. See, when you have confidence, you have faith because you know that God can be trusted. See, the word confidence comes from this relationship that comes because you know that God can be trusted with your life. I always thought this is interesting. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is about to die, and he's giving leadership to Joshua. And he lays his hands on Joshua and prays for him, it says that Joshua received the spirit of wisdom. That's amazing. And I checked it, in the whole book of Joshua, there is no conversation about wisdom. In fact, I couldn't even find the word wisdom. Because you see, that was solved in the chapter just before. And so in the entire book of Joshua, Joshua had no wisdom problems. He had all the wisdom he needed. Have you ever said to yourself, God, or you said to God, just tell me what to do? God, I just want to know what your will is. Have you ever just felt frustrated because you feel like God is not showing you what the next steps are in your life? What's amazing is that when Joshua received the spirit of wisdom, the very next page when you turn to the book of Joshua, the entire conversation is about courage. Because Joshua already knew what to do. Now he needed the courage to do what he knew. See, you're gonna pretend all your life you don't know what to do. I just didn't know what God wanted me to do. And that lie is gonna carry you right to your grave. And when they bury you, they're gonna bury your dreams with you. And let me tell you, when they bury your dreams, your last thoughts are gonna be it's because I didn't have enough talent or I didn't have enough opportunity. But I want you to hear now if you never live out your dreams, it's not because you didn't have enough talent. It's not because you did not have enough opportunity. It's not because the man held you down. It's because you were a coward and you didn't have the courage to live the life you were created to live. And God wants to fill you with courage so that you can live in the fullness that he has for you. The hidden treasures of God that Jesus wants to pour into your life. You can't access them if you're Paralyzed in fear. So I want to ask you a simple question. Is there something you know that God wants you to do that you still haven't done? Here's a few ways you can figure that out. Are you going to different people asking them for advice about the same thing? See, that's our way of stalling. And so when we keep asking people for advice about the same thing, that's just because we're afraid. It's just us being cowards. I just need more clarity. You don't need more clarity. You need more courage. The clarity comes in the courage. He says, I'm fighting for you that you might be filled with courage. For some of you, what you need right now is just a dose of guts. You just have to find the internal resolve to say, I'm going to step into the life God's called me to step into whether I succeed or fail. I I love the fact that today, Tom Brady was gonna make history one way or the other. He was gonna make history if he won the Super Bowl, and he was gonna make history even if he didn't win the Super Bowl. Because he had postured himself in that moment where win or lose, he was making a mark in history that no one else had ever made. And if you're afraid to lose, you will never be postured to win. If you're afraid to fail, you will never be in a position to succeed. If you're afraid of failure, you will never step into the life God created you to fulfill. So you need courage, confidence, but you also need people. He says, I do this in order that they may be filled with courage and may be drawn together in love. And and, and I want you to realize that you need people in your life. Now, I know some of you are thinking, no, no. I, 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 I've tried people and people, people don't work for me. Like I, some people, I don't like beats. Some people don't like people. People are like beats. No, thank you. I've tried them. They don't work for me. And here's the problem. Every problem in your life is connected to a people. It is, you know that every wound in your life, every disappointment in your life, every betrayal in your life. In fact, if you're mad at God, you're just mad at somebody who said they believed in God, you're just mad at people. So when God says what you need is people, your immediate thought is you haven't been around. I don't need this people. I may need some other species of people, but you're going to have to upgrade humanity for me to ever trust humans again. But here's the little secret. You know why you only get imperfect people? Because they match you. Like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> I mean, if there were perfect people out there and God let you get around them, you would ruin them with your imperfection. See, none of us are perfect. We're all imperfect. And when we hold people to a perfection standard, it means we're hypocrites because we don't hold ourselves to a perfection standard. We want people to accept us in our imperfection, but we don't want to accept people in their imperfection. He says, no, he says, when I pray for you, I'm fighting for you that you might be drawn together in love. So I want you to know something, no matter how powerful you are, how talented you are, how gifted you are, what God created you to do, what God created you to fulfill, you cannot do it without people in your life. But on top of that, it's really more than people, you need community. Cause you can have people in your life and never actually have people really in your life. Like you might be here right now, but you're not actually here with anyone. You're just here in a room full of people, but you're not in community because community requires communion. It means you have to share your life together. You have to open yourself to someone. It's a dangerous thing to trust someone with your soul, to trust someone with your heart, to trust someone with your deepest self. But, but if you're going to live the life God created you to live, you can't just have people. You have to have community. You have to have those people who journey with you, that know you and love you and care about you. But but frankly, this passage means more than that. He says, I do this in order that they may be filled with courage and may be drawn together in love. See, it's not enough just to have people. And it's not enough just to have community. What actually he's saying is you need to have the church. See, what he's talking about here when he says, you need to be united in love, you need to be drawn together in love. He's talking about this social experiment that Jesus started called the church. And if you're ever going to fulfill the fullness of your life, if you're ever going to step into the the hidden treasures of Jesus, you need to realize that the keys that he holds and he has placed in our hands can only be accessed when we travel together through life as his people. It's not about going to church. It's about being the church. And I I want to say this to you. See, Mosaic is my community. This is my people, my church, my place. And and I I don't know where you're from or whether you're passing through or whether you're just adding us to your menu. But there are so many people who just use church rather than become church. And, And whether it's here or somewhere else, you have to make a decision in your life to be a part of a tribe, to be a part of a people. You have to see the church as more than an event that you access so that you can get better but a people that you serve and sacrifice with so that you can all walk together and by the way that's so interesting everybody was talking about it. it's tom brady against jared goff it was never tom brady against jared goff tom brady was always sitting on the bench when jared goff was in the game and Jared Goff was sitting on his bench, and Tom Brady was in the game. They were never on the field at the same time, but everybody acts as, as if it's these two men fighting it out. It's not a cage fight. It's a football game. And what sometimes we, we mistake is that we love creating heroes and eliminating the reality of the context of their greatness. Tom Brady did not stop the Rams from scoring more than three points. It was the Patriots defense who did that. In fact, so much of Tom Brady's greatness was completely dependent on other people. He had to sit powerlessly on the sideline watching their defense determine how the game is gonna be played out. Because Tom Brady has never worn another helmet except a Patriot helmet. He has never accomplished anything outside of the context of a team in the world of football. But we keep wanting to act as if we're the singular heroes. But you may be Tom Brady without the Patriots. See, when you're drawn together in love, you're bound together with people. See, I'm grateful that I have Joe Smith I'm grateful that I have a brother that walks with me and that I can do life with together and we can, we can enjoy life and play basketball and, and we can talk about life and dream about the future. And, 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 and when I'm not up here and he's preaching, I know that he's bringing a message so powerful it's going to change people's lives. I love doing life together with you. See, it's it's a beautiful thing. See, I I have these two kids, Mariah and Aaron, but but they're not here because they're my son and my daughter. If they were just, how many people hang out with their parents? (laughs) Most people choose to move to another part of the world. See, what's amazing to me is that Mariah isn't just my daughter celebrating her 27th birthday. We do life together. She's my people. When she's singing, I'm singing. It's me through her. See, Aaron's my son, but we do life together. We, we talk about, about how to change the course of human history, how, how to make the greatest impact on our cities. We, we dream, and, and, and we scheme, and we plot together. And, and he's my son, but he's also my brother. See, and, and, and some of you, you're just doing life alone. And I'm so sad for you because life is too hard to do alone. And then he says, not only to be filled with courage, be drawn together in love, but to have a full wealth of assurance which true understanding brings. He's saying here, I want you to have the full wealth of all that God wants to pour into your life. See, God doesn't wanna leave you hanging for what you need or even what you need to know. But, But here's the problem. See, a lot of us think that wisdom is having access to the right information and it's not. Wisdom is not about having access to the right information. Wisdom is about having access to the right relationship. And and that's why the solution isn't needing to know. Do you know that you know more than presidents knew 50 years ago? Do you realize that? You have access to more information than Hoover did. You have access to more information than the heads of the FBI and the CIA and other covert organizations a hundred years ago. You know more than Abraham Lincoln could have ever imagined knowing. So clearly knowing more doesn't make life better. It's not how much you know that makes you stronger. It's knowing what you need to know that makes you stronger. And life is so complicated. See, a lot of us go, Oh, God, just tell me what to do. God, just tell me what to do. Do you realize if God just told you what to do, it would be an incredibly boring life? If God just told you what to do, you would just be like this little robot. Turn right, do this. God, Jesus, Jesus, tell me what job, what job. What's wrong with you? Don't you want to think? Don't you want to choose? Don't you want to live? Yeah, a lot of us are like, Oh God, do I take this job or this job? God, do I live in this city this city? God, do I date him or do I date him? God, God, tell me what to do. God, tell me what to do. The reason you're paralyzed is because you're spending your whole life asking me what you should do and too little of your life asking me who you should become. Let me tell you what wisdom is. Wisdom is when you don't have to ask as you so naturally do the right thing. See, wisdom is when you don't need more information because when you move, the entire universe moves with you. See, wisdom is when you don't have to say, God, do I do this or this? Because you just do it naturally. Because your heart is filled with what is good and beautiful and true. I and mean, God, I don't want you to turn me into a puppet where you're giving me every command, downloading every piece of information, telling me every step I have to take. I don't need to ask him whether I need a cappuccino or an Americano. <laughs> I just said, Jesus, just make me the person you created me to be so that I can move naturally into the future. Because when you abide in him, you're in a flow. You get into the zone. When you abide in him, you don't ask him what you should do with your life because you are alive. And life comes naturally to you. See, Jesus never came to take life away from you. He came to put life into you. And the beautiful thing is that everything God wants to do with you, he will do most naturally by recreating you. See, God focuses on your being, on who you are. So then out of who you are, You just do what God would do. When you have the heart of God, and you have the mind of Christ, you just begin to walk where the steps of Jesus have already walked. But there are no footprints. Because no one else can see what you can see. Because you've been brought into the secret. And the secret, by the way, is Jesus And when you step into Jesus and you make him your love and your life, Jesus is not supposed to be a supplement. Jesus is supposed to be your source. And when he's your source, life flows out of you. I want you just to bow your heads with me just for a moment. Just close your eyes. Jesus came so that you could live, so that you could be alive, so that life would flow out of you naturally. There's some of you here, you accepted Jesus at some point along the way, but you haven't been living in union with him. You haven't been living in communion with him. Hey, here's the beautiful thing. If you're here and you feel like you've wandered a thousand miles away from Jesus, you don't have to walk a thousand miles back. It's just one step and you're back. See, may, maybe you feel like you, you've been gone for so many years. Oh Jesus, how many years has it been that I've lost because I've wandered away from you? But here's the beautiful thing, you see, even if you've walked away for five, eight, 10 years, you can be right back in just an instant. Because he's always been there, waiting for you to turn back to him. So this moment right now, just step back into union with him. Just tell him, Jesus, I'm yours. I give you everything. I want you to be my everything. There's some of you here who have never crossed the line of faith before this moment. Maybe it just didn't click before. It didn't make sense completely, but you know, I've just been reading out of the children's Bible because Jesus says, unless you come like a child, you cannot enter my kingdom. And, and I want you to know that Jesus, he died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead for you. And he just wants you to open up your life to him so he can pour his life in you. And if you're here right now and you know that you need Jesus in your life, you, you know that you need his forgiveness and you need his freedom, that I want you right now just to pray this simple prayer. It's just one sentence. Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, just whisper it to him. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If you just whispered that prayer, I want you to know that God has heard your prayer, that this moment you, you just crossed a line of faith where now you belong to him and he will never leave you or abandon you. You will always be his daughter, his son. But you are the object of his love, and his love will keep you. If you just prayed that prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. I wanna pray for you right now, but I wanna see you. So if you just prayed that prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. I want you just to hold your hand up really quickly, and I wanna see you, and I wanna pray for you. Right now, just hold your hand up high. Jesus, I give you my life right now, beautiful. Jesus, I give you my life. All over the room. Jesus, I give you my life. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. So beautiful, so good. All over the room. Anyone else right now? You know, this is your moment. Right now, just step across the line of faith. Just whisper to him. Jesus, I give you my life. Anyone else right now? This is your moment. Beautiful. Father, I thank you for all the women and men who in this moment have opened up their lives to you, have crossed that line of faith have given their hearts and souls to you. And God, I pray that right now they would know that you've come and you've put your life in them, that you've come to dwell in them, that you will never leave them or abandon them, that they are now enveloped in your love and they belong to you from this moment and forever. And God, I pray that even now, the deep work of your spirit would take place in their life. They would grow in their relationship with you. God, I just got to just confess that we have not done well with our freedom. It seems like in our freedom, we've made ourselves captives and prisoners. And I pray, Jesus, that right now you would just set people free. That you would restore to us the freedom that we need from the inside out. That you, Jesus, would be the secret that we hold to you're the secret of God because you hold the key to all the hidden treasures of God's wisdom then Jesus I just want to stay close to you unlock my soul open me that I may receive the fullness of you I pray this for each person here we pray in your name Jesus amen Amen. We just thank God for all those who've responded to him tonight. So beautiful, so good. Never forget, when you leave this place, we have not stopped fighting for you. We are praying for you all week long. We're fighting for you. We believe in God's greatness in your life. We're going to fight for that greatness. We're gonna fight for the hope you need. We're gonna fight for the faith you need. We're gonna fight for the love your soul longs for. We're gonna fight for your freedom. We're gonna fight for your future. I hope you know there are people who love you, who believe in you, who are committed to you, and will fight for you until their very last breath. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I wanna encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.